0: It's important, it's a different way of approaching an understanding of nature. And I think that's what science really is. I define science in, in a very broad way. It started with the Greeks. And it's, it's an effort to think critically and, and to explain things in terms of what is known rather than using gods. And that it developed over time. Aristotle contributed quite a bit and that got more precise in the Middle Ages. And then you had this scientific revolution where you could mathematically model these things. And that's kind of bringing in Plato and Pythagoras with the idea of number. And it, can, it continues to develop and grow. But the focus on reductionism, which is what most people think science is, will naturally exclude certain subjects. And one of them is astrology, right. because it's just too hard to do on astrology that really the only... The, the only really high quality study that's been done on astrology in a reductionist way are the Gaukeland studies,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they're good. They're way better than most scientific studies, but they, they can't get a hearing. They keep getting shot down. And it's really, as I say in the book, and other people have said, like John Anthony West in the, uh, the case for astrology spends a lot of time on Gaukeland, just showing how there's a lot of cheating going on, and it's yeah, not yeah. the astrologers.
2: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living Earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode I'm joined by author and astrologer Bruce Schofield to discuss his latest book, The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems. Bruce and I discuss astrology as a subject of science, the dogmatism of the reductive, mechanistic, materialist scientific worldview, determinism and free will, and how life internalizes the sky. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Bruce Schofield holds a doctorate in geosciences from the University of Massachusetts, a master's degree in social sciences from Montclair University. And a degree in history from Rutgers. He is a member of the National Council for Geocosmic Research and president of the Professional Astrologers Alliance. He is also an instructor at Kepler College. He is the author of 14 books, and he joins me today to discuss his latest publication, The Nature of Astrology: History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems. Bruce, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio.
0: Thanks for having me on, Nick.
2: Well, thank you. I'm really excited to speak with you today. This is my first episode addressing astrology, and I am exceptionally happy that that it's you that I'm going to be having this conversation with. And we spoke a little bit before recording, and I've been a little bit hesitant because of how astrology is perceived to have it as a topic on my podcast. Because right or wrong, credibility is still important to me. And I like evidence-based claims. And, you know, there's a lot of wooly-headed thinking out in the world today. And, you know, as Buffy observed, wooly-headed thinking leads to being eaten. But You make a lot of really important points. And your book is an examination of astrology as a kind of science. And you hit a lot of ideas that I've personally been struggling with because I teach critical thinking and logic. And some of the things that I'm supposed to teach is pseudoscience, how to identify it, how to avoid it. And what I've been discovering is that the majority of the textbooks, they're actually teaching indoctrination, not critical thinking. And that's why I think the book, The Nature of Astrology is so important, because I think it demonstrates what critical thinking should be in regards to some things that have been identified as pseudoscience and i think identified wrongly as pseudoscience
0: well let me just say right away that i'm, I'm not arguing in the book specifically that astrology is a science what okay. i'm arguing is that it's a subject okay and that the closest analogies that we have might be psychology and medicine hmm. and both of those fields have you can break them into sections they they have a practice you know, there's a practice side. That's not a science. Right. right now in astrology, 99.9% of people that call themselves astrologers are in practice. Mm. But say, psychology, medicine, and I think astrology also has theory, mm. research, philosophy, and history. All of those subjects have that. The trouble is with astrology, because there's no institutional support, the other parts of the subject are undeveloped, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. There's some research and there's some theory and philosophy. And I try to get into that in the book. I actually cover those in ch- separate chapters. But this is very important. People say astrology and they they associate it with a practice. That's not right. a science. Right. It may use scientific information. It's, astrology has always used scientific information. It has relied on precise astronomical measurements. Astrologers don't make up positions for the planets. Those, those have to be precise. And astrology actually led the way in, in many respects for progress in astronomy and mathematics, particularly trigonometry.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the original sort of you know sciences in a sense right you know based on the observation of the night sky and there wasn't a distinction between astrology and astronomy
0: and and calendars right and navigation they're all kind of linked
2: yeah 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 well and you know and i'm really looking forward to digging in here with a lot of this, but first I thought maybe we could begin just a little bit of your background because it's interesting reading your bio, you know, you've got, you come from the sciences. You have a degree in geosciences, social science, and history. And so maybe you can say how you started getting exploring astrology or how you combined or reconcile your the practice of astrology with the scientific background that you hold.
0: Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I was interested in dinosaurs and and consequently paleontology and my dad would take me to the American Museum of Natural History at least once a year. So, I kind of grew up around fossils and rocks and that kind of science, a little bit of biology, natural science. and But at the same time, I was interested in astronomy and I had a telescope and, you know, tried to make telescopes from kits from Edmund Scientific and, and learned all about the stars and the planets and whatnot. And astrology wasn't involved. My parents had a friend that was into astrology and they all considered it, they didn't talk about it. You know, it was not taken seriously. But when I went to college, I started at Rutgers in 1966. I became aware of the fact that almost most of my friends, close associates and friends were born around the same time. I had three girlfriends in a row that were born on October 10th. Different years, but October 10th. And my best friend in high school was born October 11th. And I was hanging out a lot with a guy at Rutgers that was born October 9th. Now, one of the girlfriends actually knew a little bit about astrology and had some books. And she didn't know quite what to do with them, Had to calculate a chart. So I looked at the books and read the instructions. And, you know, I, at the time I was taking calculus, not that I'm, a, you know, a mathematician, but I had to take it because I was a geology major at the time. So I did this chart for her. And then I did my own and became a little more familiar with the subject. And then Considered the fact that, you know, why is it that these birthdays were popping up over and over again? And I took a dive into it. And from her books and from a few that I found in a used bookstore, two books by Alan Leo, I, you know, started doing the calculations for myself and doing some personal predictive work. And I was just incredibly amazed that this stuff was working. And this basically led to you know a kind of a personal quest that I've been on ever since, and that's you know trying to understand reality. You know, from my point of view, all of these definitions of reality that people have are not necessarily complete. Mm. I mean, there there may be a lot of other things that any one single person needs to add to their understanding to build a better picture of reality. As a philosophy teacher, you would know that. Mm. But astrology is certainly one of them. Astrology holds some cards. And, you know, I think sometimes that these, you know, people that have sports injuries, that's a current thing now. It shows up in their charts. So why isn't this information known? You know, another question is, if it's known, how do you apply it? Hmm. You know, astrology is a a real thing, but it raises a lot of real questions about how do you how do you handle it? Anyway, that's how I got involved. And I, my, I, my interest continued in it to the point where I started a private practice and I made a living, full-time living as an astrologer for a few decades and retired, though still doing a few things in it. I, I, I follow the planetary positions every day mm-hmm. and watch what's going on. For example, right now, Vladimir Putin had transiting Saturn opposite his Pluto. Mm. He had that last spring, when the Russian flagship was sunk. And so the news in the last day or so is the Ukrainians, you know, bombed out a lot of Russians, possibly hundreds. So, you know, I follow the news events, along with astrology, and I follow my own, you know, personal life and that of a few other people.
2: Right you know one of the things that really pushed me I think over the edge into or maybe that's probably not the right way of saying that but it pushed me into recognizing A lot of the validity of astrology was 2020 because I know astrologers had been talking for several years that something important would likely happen. Yeah. And the one thing that I always go back to is I had started watching Chris Brennan's The Astrology podcast and their year ahead, you know, preview. Mm -hmm. And I remember. One of them, when they were kind of going over what was coming in 2020, and that it was the conjunction of Saturn, Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto, Pluto. Pluto, right? And they were looking at how that was going to play out, you know, over the months. And one of them commented that at the end of March 2020, there would be no snuggling. (laughs) It's good. You know, and it's like, they got that right. (laughs) They got that very, very right. I did
0: several talks the previous, you know, summer of 2019. And uh, the way I described it was a black swan event in the first quarter of
2: 2020.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, speculated on what it would be. I didn't get pandemic, but that was in my list of possible things.
2: Well, and that's the thing with astrology is that you can say, all right, the planetary configurations are suggestive of this kind of phenomena, (laughs) but making very specific predictions is always very tricky. But that's also the case sometimes in some other sciences, especially, you know, psychology and some of the other social sciences. Uh, I know you mentioned economics. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 They got quite a track record there.
2: Well, yeah. And uh, isn't it the case that sometimes astrology is a little bit better at the predictions than the economists are?
0: It might be. Some economists use astrology, a few, you know, and certainly people in the stock market will. But these things are complicated. I think one of the problems is that we tend to focus too closely on detail. And so there was a Jupiter-Saturn-Pluto conjunction in early 2020. But that's something that is really generational you know that's going on for a long time and if you go back to when things like that happened before you get things like the protestant reformation and the conquest of the aztecs all within a few years of each other and so there was you know i mean it took a hundred years or more to digest what happened in those you know that five or six year period and Hmm. so we're in one of those now right so what happened in 2020 really is that's just the beginning. You know, that's the first page of a series of transformations
1: Mm.
0: that the world, you know, will be going through. You know, my question is always, well, how does this happen? How does this work? You know, there's no question that there's a correlation going on between these planetary positions and individual lives and, you know, the experiences of collectives Mm. and including the whole world. But what is going on? That's what i try to address in the book right as best i can
2: yeah and that is the question how does it work you know and i like that what you do in the book is you a main component of it is this exploration of how science has evolved over time and the paradigms that have been instituted and i think that one of the primary arguments is that astrology is currently rejected by many scientists And there are a number of reasons. One is just basic ignorance of what astrology is doing. They just seem to say or think that it's, you know, what people read in the newspaper every day, but that's certainly not what astrology is. But it's also just a basic rejection of not conforming to their model. The The reductionist
0: materialist mechanical model. I call it RMM in the book.
2: Right, right, right. And so I, I think that that was really kind of one of the places I wanted to focus on is this trajectory and how astrology is really rejected because it doesn't fit with the RMM and how these new ideas that are emerging of system science and a more holistic kind of thinking give space for astrology
0: yeah i I think it does that's essentially my argument
1: right you know
0: what i'm saying is that science when people say follow the science people use the word loosely right but what they're generally referring to is a type of science that developed in the 17th century Mm -hmm. and kind of became very much more clarified in the 19th and 20th in which nature is reduced it's analyzed in terms of its material qualities and it's described mechanically and mathematically modeled so if you can't do that to it well then you got some problems hmm. and there are a lot of problems like you can't do that to consciousness right you know and scientists have been aware of that for a long time and somewhere towards the end of the 19th century the beginning of the 20th you've got some people talking about systems. I think it was eclipsed by the rise of quantum mechanics and relativity. Mm. But it was percolating in the background and continues to do so, periodically bubbles up and gets some attention. There are some philosophers that were interested in it, like Whitehead. And it, it pops up from time to time. The problem is it doesn't in, it, it requires a multidisciplinary effort to do it properly, and there's a condition that James Lovelock called academic apartheid, where the departments don't talk to each other. And so, what's happened with system science is that every department has its own version of it. So like the anthropologists do it a certain way, and the biologists do it another way, the, and the mathematicians talk about chaos and you know complexity, but they're all looking at ways to better understand a certain class of phenomena, which are systems like a cell or an organ or a body or a collective system like a nation or the stock market or other large scale natural phenomena like weather or even larger scale climate. Mm So it, it's important. It's a different way of approaching an understanding of nature. And I think that's what science really is. I define science in in a very broad way. started with the Greeks, and it's, it's an effort to think critically and, and to explain things in terms of what is known rather than using gods. And that it developed over time. Aristotle contributed quite a bit, and that got more precise in the Middle Ages, and then you had this scientific revolution where you could mathematically model these things, and that's kind of bringing in Plato and Pythagoras with the idea of number, and it it continues to develop and grow, but the focus on reductionism, which is what most people think science is, will naturally exclude certain subjects, and one of them is astrology. Right. Because it's just too hard to do on astrology. The, really, the only, the, the only really high-quality study that's been done on astrology in a reductionist way are the Gaukeland studies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're good. They're way better than most scientific studies. But they they can't get a hearing. They keep getting shot down. And it's really, as I say in the book, and other people have said, like John Anthony West in The uh, the Case for Astrology spends a lot of time on Gaukeland, just showing how there's a lot of cheating going on. And it's not the astrologers.
2: Yeah. Can you say a little bit about the alkaline studies for those who may not be familiar with it?
0: Yeah. Michel Bothlin was a, a statistician and a psychologist, French. And he, and then later he and his wife worked for about three decades testing astrology. And they went out and got birth data in France and clarified whether it was accurate or not, calculated charts. And they basically tried to see if there was a correlation between occupation or profession and where the planets were in their diurnal cycle. And that's their daily rise and set. Like the diurnal cycle is the sunrise and sun reaches noon and it sets and it goes under the earth. All the planets do that every day. And so Gaukeland was tracking those and he created these sectors in the diurnal cycle and showed that for sports champions, Mars was more commonly found in certain areas of the sky than others, and there was high statistical significance to that. So he was actually able to reduce it to numbers. And the studies are very good. He also later found correlations, they, Michel and Francois, and his wife, between planetary positions and heredity and planetary positions and personality. The studies are available. He wrote a lot of books. There's just an ongoing debate because this is too embarrassing for mm. the self-appointed pit bulls of science, of reductionist science. They yeah. call themselves skeptics. Right.
2: Yeah, they do. And sometimes, though, it seems quite often, actually, that they're not really skeptical. They seem to be... um dogmatic and fundamentalist often, you know, like I said, you know, it's one of the things that I've struggled with is <laughs> that, you know, teaching critical thinking that, you know, often the books will just say, well, there's just no evidence for anything. And it's like, but there is, if you're not familiar with the evidence, that doesn't mean that the evidence doesn't exist. Yeah. And I really struggle because it's like, I don't want to indoctrinate students because that's not that's not critical thinking. You know, critical thinking is against indoctrination, I think. <laughs> At least it's supposed right. to be.
0: It should train you to be able to see through it. Uh, people will believe anything, though. You know, I think oh, people's sure. beliefs override their, their you know, rational capacities. I mean, look what's going on in the country today. Right. You have people that, you know, uh, I mean, like the QAnon phenomena, for mm-hmm. example. I mean, that's so insane, but how many people right. buy into it? Right. Election fraud, you know, vaccination issues. Of course, these are all complicated, but people don't want to do the work they want to. They just want to find somebody that agrees with how they feel and they go along with it. And I think that happens at all levels.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah well you know like i said you know there's a lot of wooly headed thinking out there and you know yeah. it can lead to being eaten
0: well you know th- that's, that's interesting <laughs> because there was a book called the spirit and the gene by i'm trying to think of his name an australian guy and he argued that human humans as a species are driven to pr- proliferate and breed and overpopulate and you know instead of like lemmings which just run off a cliff what human beings do is like lodge, latch on to outrageous beliefs. Hmm. And that causes them to do things that eventually result in lowering the population. Okay. So he says it's, it's, it's intrinsic to the human mind to, you know, to want to believe.
2: Hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. The, the spirit and the gene, you said that? Yeah,
0: a uh, name will pop into my head in a minute. Reg, Reg Morrison. Oh, there you go. was
2: ah, pretty quick. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I think that we have a difficult time separating knowledge from belief. And this has been ongoing for a very long time, you know, and it, it, it does seem right now to be even more rampant of people being unable to distinguish their beliefs from what is real and true and good you know yeah and the people that
0: want to make money a lot of money know that and they feed people what they know is going to hook them right which is usually gossip right of some sort right right Right. you know there's this that saying you know intelligent people discuss ideas and Average people discuss events, and stupid people discuss other people. Right. And you look at a lot. You look, for example, you take Fox News. All it is is a gossip show, mm. and these people latch right onto it because it's personalities. That's all they can understand. Mm-hmm. You know. So if if we're operating in a culture that allows that kind of stuff to pass as reality, we're in trouble.
2: Right. Yeah, and I, you know. I, I don't know how to get beyond that other than turning the television off. And, you know, I, I have issue, great issues with Fox News, but I also see this in the other media. And that's why I just kind of removed myself from being exposed to it. And, you know, and I saw this happening very quickly after 9 11. (laughs) It seems like we're always struggling with these issues (laughs) of how to determine what is right and true and good. It also seems that we are in a place where the paradigm of RMM. Is really seeing a lot of challenges, and I don't know if there's enough right now to abandon it. And I don't think we should abandon it. I think, you know, you point out that you know it's not wrong; it just has limits uh, in what it can what it can demonstrate, and that sometimes those who adhere to it are. I think you're right, as you know, they're myopic and overconfident, and I think that's absolutely correct. I think that what is going to really Push us forward is the climate emergency and the attempt to understand climate, which is a system, and our ecological role and just ecology in general. One of my professors once commented in regards to ecology, and I think this fits in this conversation because it looks at the whole, you know, it looks at the individual within the whole, but then the whole that's greater than the individual parts. And her observation or her question was, well, is ecology the last of the old sciences or is it the first of the new? And it seems like there is this new sort of science that's emerging that I hope gets away from the, dogmatism of rmm and embraces something new and it seems like if that's the case that astrology can be welcomed back into the conversation
0: yeah i I, that's one of my main points i think it should be it had there there will be some difficulties primarily in regard to language you know astrologers have their own language and yes they do (laughs) but you know i don't know I speculate on how you can get around that, but, you know, let's drop that for now. But, you know, just listening to you before, ecology is a really good example of, you know, a branch of biology and earth sciences, I guess, that has no other choice than to take a systems view, because that's what the subject matter is. And then if you go one step higher, you have Gaia. You have Lovelock and Margulis with Gaia, where you have a self-organizing you know biosphere that's that's you know intimately deeply integrated with the atmosphere and hydrosphere and geosphere so things like the climate emergency things like medical problems that are based on say the microbiome or based on you know you know some other ways where there's deep integration in the body those subjects are going to force research and development and eventually practice that's, that has no other choice except to be holistic and system oriented. So yeah, we're at that edge. Reduction, reduction of science is, was one of the greatest discoveries that humans have ever had, probably right up there with fire and agriculture, hmm. you know, but it's gotta be targeted. You can't apply it to everything. You know, you, cool. you, They haven't figured out how life started. Yeah, you know, right. that, that's they're working on it but it's that's that's a very complicated thing you have to look at a lot of a lot of factors in order to understand that
2: yeah and they can't answer for consciousness and that's the thing that always gets me <clears throat> is that you know i've heard some of these reductive materialists even say well consciousness is just an illusion but it's so fundamental to the human experience it's primary and it
0: acts on things that's the thing you know it's not what illusion can actually transform the planet
2: right right and it just it boggles my mind and i always have i've been arguing for a long time that you know from the ideas of thomas kuhn who gave us the notion of scientific paradigms you know he said that there's always an anomaly that the current paradigm couldn't answer and that it was the attempt to answer that anomaly that would give birth to the new paradigm. And I've been suggesting for a long time now that that's consciousness, that it's the attempt to explain that is going to lead us to something new. And I think there are some other things that are going to play into this, but I think that one is like probably number one in my book.
0: Hopefully the new interest in or you know revived interest in psychedelics yeah. as healing may have something to do with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like we're in a really exciting time with how we are experiencing and understanding the world. And I think it's going to be a difficult journey (laughs) getting us to into that new paradigm but I but I think it's it's got to happen it's got to happen
0: but did you happen to see did you happen to see Paul Ehrlich on 60 minutes the other night
2: no I didn't
0: that's worth looking at you know he was the guy that had the population bomb and they all said he was wrong you know because agriculture got better but now he's he's back and he's saying wait there's way too many people you need five earths Right. you know, yeah. for everybody, to, you know, and, and we have a sixth extinction going on. He's right. absolutely right. Right. But a lot of people still have a hard time with that humans have a hard time with the idea of overpopulation, because we're so anthropocentric, mm-hmm. just so deeply anthropocentric. And I was on my Twitter feed a couple of days ago, and Elon Musk was like, you know, reeling away at how wrong Paul Ehrlich is about things. Of course, he has mm-hmm. what, 10 kids?
2: I don't know. I I try to ignore Elon. I don't, I don't. Yeah. But but the the
0: reality is, is that, you know, (laughs) things are looking very bright in terms of understanding, but at the same time, probably the bulk of the population is like driving at 90 miles an hour to the edge of a cliff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the population is something that has to be addressed, but I would also add to that, that, In conjunction with, you know, I don't think that you can, I think just looking at population is reductive in a sense, because you also have to look at how the different populations within the greater population are utilizing resources. That's right. You know, and, you know, my concern is that Often, and I'm not accusing Ehrlich or anyone of this, but I have seen this happen, that often the people who are like, oh, no, 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 we've got to get population under control tend to live very privileged, comfortable lives. And they're pointing their fingers at usually brown people and who are not using the same amount of resources that, you you know, a family of, you know. 5.2 children living in an American suburb versus a larger family living outside of the United States and uh, the global South, you know, they're not using the same amount of resources, but the problem is they want to be like us in many ways and utilize the same resources.
0: Well, you got to look at the biological level that when an Mm. organism like like humans are under stress, they automatically want to put out more, more offspring. Right, right. 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 So you keep the third world and fourth world in stress, they're just going to have more babies. Right. So that's got to be considered.
1: Yeah.
0: There, there are a lot, a lot of problems. Population is a very touchy issue right. because it, 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 you know, leads into religion
1: mm-hmm.
0: and people don't right. want to touch religion because that's, you know, it's, it's a belief that is sacred. Right. And, you know, we can't touch that at all, no matter how crazy it is.
2: Oh, well, I think we can. And you, well,
0: know, you and I can, but you know, know, it's you they don't you don't want to hear too. It's only in the last 20 years or so that people have been standing up to right. uh you know religion really. Yeah. In in any big way.
2: Right, right. Yeah, the fastest growing sort of religious slash spiritual denomination, at least in the United States, are those people who identify as spiritual but not religious. And we're seeing yeah. a pretty large mass exodus of religion or from religion just out of curiosity not to put you on the spot here but do you see a astrological correspondence with that at all with what people leaving or challenging the religious traditions that have been uh, well i think that so long
0: that you know that comes with education Mm. Right. You know, so more and more people have gotten educated over the last few centuries. Right. Mm. Well, you go to the Renaissance, maybe one percent of the population was reading. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot higher now. Right, Right. But astrologically, when Pluto went through Sagittarius, which was in the 80s and 90s, you know, that really got it going. I mean, you had all these crazy preachers on TV, and well, you know, if you, if you go back at that time, you really see the erosion of respect for certain types of religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was the beginning of it, and it continues. Yeah. Saturn will go into Pisces this year, right? And you know, Pisces is a sign of beliefs, mm. and Saturn is a sign of reality. Mm or at least the the idea that there is a reality. And I think we'll see an acceleration of resistance to religion. We'll see a lot of um, disillusionment going on. Mm. You know, you have a lot of people living in fantasy land. Right. You know, I spend a lot, I've worked hard in my life to try to determine, you know, what's real or as close to real as I can find it to be and what isn't. And most people don't do that. They're just going along with a program. And I think there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable wake up situations over the next three years for a lot yeah. of people
2: yeah yeah i i think that's that's very true as well and, and the world i
0: mean with with the climate emergency right I, you know what we need is like three or four hurricanes within you know a month to totally destroy something like florida yeah you know to really wake up it's obvious to me i'm sure it's obvious to you that something's going on but yeah you know, it is an emergency, but people have to get hit harder over the head because they're living in this, you know, set of beliefs that are in denial of that.
2: Right, right. Yeah, it's a uh, an illusion. It's, you know, it's, I guess, what the the Hindus would call Maya, you know, we tend to be stuck in this. And it seems that there are beliefs that I think there are roots in religion and you address some of these and as a philosophy instructor and teaching religious studies as well i always find it curious when i bring these up in the classroom for example free will and you know notions of individuality and i you know you note that the rmm is very connected to ideas of individuality, but okay. it's also part of the Judeo-Christian-Islamic traditions, especially in Christianity. The focus is on the individual, and in particular, Protestant theology. It's, it's all the individual and and choice. Yeah, yeah, and choice. Because and it these falls things, apart without that. Yeah, these things just go unquestioned and it's taken as a article of faith it's an article of truism for the overwhelming majority of my students you know they'll say well we have free will and i'm like but do you <laughs> Really, what well, what's the evidence for that? Well, I can make choices all the time, but do you? <laughs> you know, well, you know what's the evidence for this?
0: You ever talk to your students about Stoic causal determinism?
2: Not not so much. I need to start bringing in the Stoics into into my courses, but say something about that.
0: Well, Stoics were this. Well, there was a lineage, right? But it's a philosophical tradition out of Greece and Rome that came as close to astrology as closer to astrology than any other philosophical tradition out of Greece and Rome Hmm. and one of the reasons was because they considered a person's you know experiences to be the result of preceding causes Hmm. that everything was the result of a cause multiple causes or a swarm of causes and there was really very little room for free will and free will could only come out of Consciousness raising your understanding of who you are, and they thought divination and astrology was fine because that kind of backed up the whole idea that there was a lot of de- you know, causal determinism is what it was called. There was a deterministic universe that we're living in, and little adjustments were possible, but not much. Now, in religion, Christian religion in particular, East Western religions in general, you have this idea that. The individual needs to make a choice in Christianity, it's between good and evil. And if that's not there, then there's really no need for God or religion. You know, it's like Adam, you know, and Eve, you know, choosing whether to eat the the apple or not. I mean, the fact that they had the choice gives reason for a, 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 a Satan, you know, an evil to exist at the same time that God does, and it gives reasons for there to be a church and a priest. It's all linked together. Uh, Astrology kind of disturbs that in some ways because it suggests that people actually do have a lot more determinism operating in them than they think. Of course, there is a lot anyway. I mean, we have our genetics and we have our childhood upbringing, and that's probably 90% of what we do anyway, right, if not more. So if you're honest about those things, there's not a lot of room for free will. There is room for it. and But the Stoics were interesting in that they tackled that problem early on.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think they inherited quite a bit of that, especially the causation from Aristotle. But with the Stoics, and this is something I wanted to ask you about, because the worldviews that preceded the RMM, You know, we get much of that from the, you know, especially in the West, we get this from Greek philosophers and you had this idea that was in Plato of the anima mundi, that the, there was a world spirit and the Stoics also believed in something like that, didn't they? Because Plato thought that the universe was alive, that it was its own being and yeah. the stoics held something similar to that that wasn't it that the world soul was all that there was that that world soul was in fact kind of god and a dynamic
0: continuum that's what they okay. referred to
2: right and we were to put ourselves in alignment with that weren't we it wasn't that kind of the stoic idea to accept our fates, but to put ourselves in alignment with the uh, overarching patterns and unfolding of the universe. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. I mean, the, the the whole stoic idea was that you align yourself with nature, and nature is the dynamic continuum, which is the same as God. And you know, there was this force that held it together called pneuma and it allowed all parts of the universe to communicate with itself and there were there's there's some good rationale for astrology and all that
1: right but yeah the the
0: the goal of being a stoic was to be to do what your fate was Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you know you could you could it's like a dog tied to a cart that was one of the analogies they would use you could walk along with the cart and get somewhere or you could lie down and be dragged
2: and my understanding is that with the astrology there you know it's it's not entirely deterministic there's still some free will that can happen within this and i know that in some of the texts that have been kind of rediscovered if that's the correct way to look at this that there's like a lot of magical rituals that people were doing to try to change some of the astrology or to work with it better so that it wasn't so, I guess it was a way for them to try to achieve a little bit more freedom from the gods (laughs) that, that they saw were active in the cosmos. I don't know if that's right, but what is the role of free will in astrology? Because it does seem like, you know, there are these patterns, but that we're not entirely bound to them
0: well there's a branch of astrology called electional astrology Mm -hmm. that is about choosing the right time to do something so based on experience like observing you know suppose somebody gets married at a certain time and you look at the chart for that moment you know that that event transition point and you find that they did that when saturn was opposite pluto and one was rising and one was setting and then that marriage falls apart after a few years well that's a piece of information that you 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 know you put on your uh, in your notebook and then you see more and more of those and this goes on generation after generation and by now astrologers have a pretty good idea what works and what doesn't work and so you know for example i'm taking a trip in february next month and I was working yesterday on the time that I'm going to leave my house on that trip because I found that that works. Mm. I take, I've taken many trips and even just a trip to the store. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll note what's going on today. We have cell phones. so You can pop up a chart right for the moment. You can see what's going on. But that's a way of, of participating with nature. Mm. And it's a branch of astrology been around for a long time. I, I have a discussion on it several places in in the book and get into in depth about what it might mean and mm-hmm. so on but it certainly does allow for more free will or choice. how what I didn't like when I was an astrological practitioner was clients asking me for times to do things that would allow them to take advantage of other people. Mm. and I had to excuse myself from those sort of things a few times, there were several people that never got it, never got why I would do that. it was It was so deeply baked into who they were that they were unable to transcend the idea that maybe manipulating other people is not that good of a thing in all cases. right. right. So there's some fate going on there, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And isn't it that the planetary patterns and relationships, is suggestive of possibilities
0: yeah you can't get it exact but it, it right. possibilities you know right. you know for example if you go on a trip with saturn rising at the time there you will have fewer possibilities than if you leave on a trip with jupiter rising at the time You know, other, other, all other things, other planetary positions being equal, but yeah, there, there are different possibilities and there's a range of possibilities. And what you want to do in an electional chart is create a situation that brings out the most opportunities because that will allow you to solve problems faster than if you're trapped into a narrow, you know, pathway.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well, and that's, it seems like that's a good way of using astrology. One of the things that kind of jumps out at me though, is that one of the criticisms I think that's leveled against astrology is the predictions that the predictions aren't always correct. And that also that there is this kind of determinism but yet the rmm model is very deterministic (laughs) itself isn't it oh yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah there's you know you can have it both ways if you're happen to be in the ruling position of your culture right it's much harder if you're on the you know on the outskirts (laughs) if you're marginalized you know you have to do
2: things 10 times better right right yeah Yeah. well and how would it, it I mean, you gave the example of, you know, an electional chart and traveling. How and what other ways could we use astrology to kind of, you know, I guess, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, 2020, and I think that's a really good example, you know, that it there wasn't a specific like oh yes we're going to be hit with a pandemic that was a possibility but if people had paid attention and if astrology was part of the conversation how could it have helped us maneuver 2020 better could it have helped us maneuver 2020 well
0: better? it it might it might have for people that are interested in learning i mean because what it would probably have focused. I mean, if you look at the aspects for that event, there was a, a lot of Pluto and Saturn involved, mm-hmm. and I think that an intelligent astrological discussion of that event would lead right into the you know the relationships, the the relationships between governments in the Middle East, dependency on fossil fuels, um, you know, religious issues. It would just indicate that there were that at that time there was a a peak of tension in those themes and those general topics and that we needed to understand them better but we put that off and put it off and then got hit
1: Mm. okay
0: so i I think astrology makes you more aware of what's going on Mm. you know i i could see the planets in my chart coming up that could indicate a problem Mm. i could see it way ahead of time then you know i don't do certain things at that time and i do certain things ahead of time to prepare for it and so on so it gives it's like a roadmap i like to see astrology as as a map i define it as a map i define it as a mapping technique for self-organizing systems Hmm. so it creates models as to where things are going where things tend to be headed and then with that information you can then make adjustments or you can understand the process a little better and so on
2: what I think is one of the great values, and this is also a counter to the RMM model, is that astrology provides meaning. It provides a way of understanding, right. and the RMM model, there is no inherent meaning. It's a meaningless universe of matter right. and motion.
0: Right. Yeah, the, the idea that astrology makes meaning is very important. Because it does. I mean, it definitely makes meaning. Now, whether that meaning is something is something along the lines of, say, you know, that, that it's supported by an ontology. You know, right. suppose it's supported, you know, the idea of Aristotle's teleology, right? That, that there's a purpose. And, and, and the Stoics would say the same thing, that there's, you know, everything has a meaning and it's part of some larger purpose, right? So astrology can provide you with that information. But even if if you have an ontology that says that we don't know what's going on in the universe, it, it may be nothing, which is the ultimate implications of the reductionist mechanical, you know, materialistic philosophy, you know, way of science, where you know it's meaningless. Not, nothing matters, right? It, you know, if that's one possible option, among others, and we also acknowledge that we don't really know, we don't have enough information to really make these decisions, then we can say that an explanation from astrology still is useful. It still has some value. And we could test it ourselves to see if it makes sense. So in other words, what I'm saying is that the idea of making meaning, whether or not the world is one way or the other doesn't matter, really, because I don't think people really know. You know, it's, it's, people in high positions high placements in the sciences need need to project some kind of confidence but the truth is we really don't know that much about what's going on as far as i can tell there are many open areas that we need to explore i mean the idea that humans could possibly know everything at any one point in time is ridiculous because it's never been that way before you know they thought at different times in history people thought that they knew everything that's the beauty of religion It's that religion knows everything right at the beginning and then that's it and you don't have to do any more work
2: you just elaborate on it right yeah and that's exactly why i have over the past couple of years grown increasingly distrustful of not necessarily religion but ideas of awakening in the sense that, you know, you mentioned, you know, like the QAnon folks, and I see this all the time where people are like, you just need to wake up (laughs) that they have that, that awakening, that there is a knowledge there. And I find that really problematic because it's like, but is it knowledge? You know, you think it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is but it's, there's something within the human psyche. And I think that you mentioned something in here that tied into that, because what I was thinking, I started thinking about the whole ideas of awakening and looking at it at, from different perspectives and both philosophical and religious. And what I came to was like, you know, I think it's just embedded in the human being, Just based on the fact that we live on a planet that has day and night, that we are constantly, you know, there's always a awakening, there is always an emergence from shadow into light, and then back into shadow. And you wrote something about that, in a sense, not in the same context that I was speaking, but it was that um, astrology might have a biological basis. And that, and I love this. You said life internalizes the sky. Oh yeah. And so when you wrote that, that's, I was making that connection to how it is just obvious if you stop to think about it, that the human and other life on this planet is, it has unfolded and been informed by the sky, by the the sun and the moon and probably other celestial objects as well
0: and variations in things like sunlight and gravity and yeah. cosmic rays and all that yeah i talk all about that in the first couple of chapters that there's no question that you know life on this planet is evolving in two at least two dimensions you know, one is the spatial dimension. You know, you might have isolated populations because of geography, or there could be a catas- catastrophic event and an extinction, and so on. So, all these are external spatial forces, you know, the availability of certain foods that drive evolution. But there's a temporal environment as well, which starts with what you just mentioned the alternation of day and night. This is a fundamental reality. And, you know, while it does, mark a change in levels of electromagnetic radiation, right, which is what what that is, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, it it also is a time marker. And then you get other things like the moon and the other planets and whatever else. So there's a whole series of rhythms that are going on in the background that are establishing a time framework. And I'm arguing that life has evolved within that time framework it has adapted to it. And that gives a basis for astrology, at least in some ways. So that's you know one theme I I begin with, and I come back to it later.
2: Right, right, yeah. And I I, I think that the evidence that you provided was relatively you know it's 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 really good. I don't I don't necessarily want to say indisputable, but because everything can be disputed, but it was very convincing for me and I like I said I found it connected to some of the things that I'd already been thinking about that there are ways that we have evolved and that these things have carried within us and they manifest in ways that we haven't really even grappled with I think that one of the closest may be Jung and the idea of a collective unconscious and that and I know that there is a whole school of astrology uh, uh, archetypal astrology that looks at these things and looks at everything archetypally but it's a it's a different cosmology it's a different like you said it's a different ontology but it's a different cosmology that we find ourselves living in
0: yeah well I, I talk about archetypal cosmology. Mm -hmm. it's it's a modern attempt to try to move towards a philosophy and cosmology that is holistic right you know that that takes into account systems and so on but we're not there yet
2: right no no people are trying (laughs) it (laughs) takes a long
0: time for these things to happen
2: oh yeah and you know
0: scientific revolution that we call the scientific revolution was at least 100 years
2: Right, if not more, you know, it took a while and it all has a history. And, you know, it it, it will change as well. Everything changes. I think that's the thing that we always have to keep in mind that everything changes. And the planets, I think, are good reminders of that, that they're constantly changing. And they never get back to the
0: same places again. That's one of the difficulties of testing astrology you can't go back and do it again, it won't occur.
2: Mm. Right. Right, right. But even though that is true, you can find certain patterns. Of yeah. And do you think that as we move forward and hopefully this will happen quickly, I think it's going to have to out of necessity. You know, I mentioned Plato and the Stoics and the idea of the anima mundi and this idea of a soul to the universe and i'm seeing the challenges of consciousness to rmm and more voices suggesting that consciousness is fundamental and that consciousness is everywhere and there are degrees of consciousness do you think that we're going to find ourselves back in a conscious universe and if we do does that help us understand astrology better?
0: Well maybe you know first let me say that consciousness is a very complex subject and I'm yes, no expert it on it yeah, it's sure. one of my projects you know to learn more and more about it. Yeah. Look at that my doorbells ringing yeah. my wife will get it I think yeah I think consciousness is an ongoing project and at least for me it's a, an ongoing study reading about it, learning about it you know it's really been part of you know my ongoing education. But I don't have any concrete answers. I'm not ready to take yeah. a stand and say one thing or the right. other. I just think we need to know more about it. Right. I see things in terms of kind of a hierarchy of knowledge or a more you know as you learn more, it becomes more you know it's more inclusive. you take a, a broader view. Probably the best analogy would be climbing up a mountain, you get to a ledge and you see a lot of things, but then you get climb another thousand feet and you get to another ledge and you see more. Right. Right. Until finally you get to the summit or maybe there is you have another mountain next to it and you have a much broader view. So understanding something like consciousness really involves it's a a long term project.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, uh, humans have been working at this for a long time.
2: Yeah. And maybe the language of consciousness was a little bit unfair. Maybe the best way of thinking about this is rather than consciousness, but the idea of nature not being dead nature right. being alive
0: well yeah is, well some kind of you know traditionally it's been thought of in terms of vitalism like the, or, right. or, or animism you know the things things are you know there's a a, a force in them a soul or a chi mm-hmm. or a right right pneuma or whatever you know that that's animating you know matter and 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 then you call it life because it's mm-hmm. not like other matter that's another complicated topic
1: yeah and one <laughs>
0: of the ones that you know, really gets challenging when you consider some of the ideas that Lovelock and Margulis came up with on how you have combinations of things going on. You have organisms biomineralizing things. Our bodies contain many structures, like our skeletons and our teeth, that are not really alive. I mean, there's Mm. stuff in there that's alive, like bone marrow, but there, there are solid substances there. So life as we understand it really is fusing with its environment. Hmm. It, it, it's, you know, there are a lot of gray areas when you get into consciousness, when you get into what life is, and it's hard hmm. to draw straight lines. And that's what reductionist science has to do in order for it right. to be reductionist science. And so that's why you need some other approach, you need to be open to different ways of doing things. And the people that have been developing system science have come up with some methodologies, but in general, it's really more like sitting behind a bird blind and watching birds and learning as much as you can about them, you know, rather than dissecting them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like what you've done is, you know, you have in your book, you haven't given an answer. You've taken a first step. Yeah. 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 and and kind of open the door for others, what would you like to see happen next? How would you like to see, you know, astrology move forward after your book?
0: Well, I would like people who are not astrologers to read it Mm. so that they develop a a healthier knowledge base, a, a more solid knowledge base for it, because generally they don't know. Critics of astrology just don't know anything. Right. They think astrology is a zodiac, and it's what's in the newspaper, right. and that's it. Um, astrology is a subject. It's a complex subject, and a lot of people don't want to learn it. And in fact, I've I've tried to get some friends of mine to learn it, and for the most part, they've had a very hard time, and they, they come away with the idea that this is a lot harder than what I studied in <laughs> school.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know about that, but like any subject, you can get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Ooh. It does require understanding things you know, with symbolism, which is not that familiar to most people. Right. And I think like a foreign language, it's much easier to learn when you're young. I picked up mm-hmm. astrology when I was 18. I was fortunate in that regard. But if you're you know, 60 or 70, you're trying to learn astrology, it's gonna go against everything you've been taught, especially if you've been in the sciences or philosophy, you, know, you learn right. to think a certain way. And yeah. the way astrologers put things together, it's much closer to being a musician
1: mm-hmm. or an artist. Right, right.
0: Yeah, And in fact, most astrologers are in the arts, one form or another. I, I still play in bands, play guitar.
2: Well, it, it seems to me what always comes to my mind is it's it's a kind of poetry.
0: Well, some people have described it as a poetry of the imagination. Yeah. I don't know that that's, that's quite right. I think really more it's it's a way of conceptualizing a force or a process. Hmm. So, for example, Saturn represents... A general principle and this is why Jung has been embraced by so many in astrology because he talked about archetypal right. properties or archetypes that exist that hold the basic meanings of something in and of themselves so Saturn is like an archetype it's the archetype of contraction
1: mm.
0: and focus so it would naturally rule things like crystals which are you know focused points and it re- rules things like fencing that barricade one off from another side and it rules hard things like in the body, it's associated with the bones and the teeth. So there's a continuum here, but the, but it's all consistent. Mm. In, in, a, in a, a, a country, a self-organizing system that we call a country, right? It retains its identity over hundreds of years, perhaps but not the same people interesting phenomena there but saturn would be the government Mm. because that's what's trying to give it structure and and so once you understand the principle of saturn and you begin to see it operate in the world around you and in yourself you get it and that's Mm. what's wonderful about meeting somebody else that's been brought up with astrology you can get into a conversation you could say you know i had a saturn transit the other day and that's about it the other person would would just knowing that would say oh yeah sorry about that (laughs) but it conveys a huge amount of information with just one symbol
1: right
0: what i think is that the language of astrology is a way to describe and analyze and map out self-organizing systems and it's the oldest way Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i don't know if it's the only way but it's it's certainly at this point i think it's the best one that we know it just needs to be cleaned up a little bit.
2: Yeah. Well, and the language aspect of it, you know, that's what I personally found so daunting. You know, I said that, you know, I, my doctoral program, you know, Rick Tarnas is one of the founders and, you know, he's very well known for one, his book, the passion of the Western mind, which I still think is one of the most beautifully written histories of Great Western book. I've intellectual read it. thought but then he, you know, wrote, you know, cosmos and psyche. And I never took courses with Rick, but I attended some of his presentations and I found it interesting. But the first time the doctoral program, we always had an annual retreat. And the very first time I showed up, there were all these people on their laptops with, you know, astrology programs. And my first thought at that time was what's going on here. You know, i been having conversations I know these are really intelligent people what's going on here and so I've been on this sort of journey of understanding but one of the main issues was when I would hear them speak it was like a totally foreign language yeah you know and it has taken me a good 15 years to get kind of (laughs) comfortable with the language itself yeah
0: you know, it's like other symbol systems like tarot or runes, yeah. or yeah. There, there are some similar, similarities there and overlaps. But astrology is, you know, an order of magnitude or four orders of magnitude more complex than those subjects. That's what people right. don't understand. They kind of group them the same way because mm. they talk in symbols. Right, right. Astrologers use more than symbols, astrologers mm. use things like aspects, which are right. basically geometry. You know, mm-hmm. angular distances, angular separations, and uh, house positions are likewise a combination of mathematics, astronomy, and some symbolism as well. But the symbolism is is a challenge. Once you get that, you might be able to do something with it. I have a, an introductory book on astrology called "What Astrology Is and How to Use It,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I, I spend some time on just trying to get that across. How you have to get these symbols together and then you can start piecing it together
2: right yeah and you pointed out in the book and you mentioned this here you know the the symbols have persisted over time they haven't
0: changed really yeah that says a lot
2: right right because symbols are so multivalent they often yeah. do change but and 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 what i personally like is you know you gave the example of saturn one of the things that kind of clicked in my mind was you know saturn is also kind of restrictive it's you know this is you can, you know the the borders right i think you had mentioned a, yeah. a border and what <laughs> really clicked in my mind with that was when someone had commented or made the observation that yeah saturn is the last of the visible planets that right. you couldn't go beyond that yeah. and once i heard that and it's you know basic knowledge but you just don't think about it it's like oh Oh, now I start seeing some of the symbolism. Now I see that it's based on observation. But it is based on observation. It was
0: considered the most distant planet until the discovery of Uranus in the 1780s. But its meaning has been consistent. Mm -hmm. It has to do with cold and compact and so on. I did a study, which is in the book, of weather temperatures When the sun was aspecting Saturn and found a strong correlation with cold with Saturn. I did the same thing for Jupiter and I got a completely different result. Hmm. So something is going on in astrology that we're not able to state with any confidence as to what it is. We just don't know. I, in the terms of whether I suggest that it might have to do with gravity, but I'm not convinced of that. There's something going on there. Maybe we need a fifth force. Maybe there's something that we're missing completely. Maybe life is way more sensitive or self-organizing systems are way more sensitive than we think they are. And, you know, you use things like the butterfly effect, you know, butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil and you get a tornado in Texas. And very tiny, tiny minuscule influences can tip things such that down the road, you have a big event in the system. I mean, there, there's some of that's got to be involved in it as well. But clearly, astrology presents problems. Mm. Some of it's been tested. There's, I think, plenty of evidence that it's a real deal, that astrology is a real thing. It's not somebody's ridiculous belief system. And it's not a religion, certainly. Right. The, the problem is to figure out what it is.
2: Right. Right, And
0: that's going to take a lot. And astrologers are not equipped to do that.
2: Right, right. There are no institutions
0: and they're practitioners. Astrologers are practitioners. You you can find now and and then an astrologer that's interested in theory, but even most of them are involved with the theory of a particular technique that they use as a practitioner or as a hobbyist.
2: So how do we get around that? How, How do we advance it?
0: Well, the first thing we have to do is, sell it as a subject, mm. you know, in need of some research and encourage more research to get a few more, you know, points on the board. And then maybe at some point there'll be some institutional support. Mm. But but it's a it's going to be a long haul. I, I think in the book I project into the future at the end. I, yeah. you know, astrology as being accepted, I say a minimum of a hundred years probably more like 200, to yeah. 200, but it'll trickle in. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to go away. You know, right. astrology's not going, it hasn't gone away for like 4,000 years, so.
2: Yeah, well, and there seems to be an increased interest in it now, too. Yeah,
0: the, the yeah. Uh, internet, which is an explosion, a media explosion has caused mm-hmm. craziness, but it's also brought a lot of information to the front.
2: Right, right. And it also, I think that, if scientists and even social scientists who adhere to the belief system of RMM and automatically reject (laughs) astrology and refuse to look at the evidence and reject it simply because it doesn't fit into their worldview, you know, you you can't make any advancements that way. And so it, And this is, again, going back to my own experiences and what I do, this is why I struggle with it because not struggle with astrology, but I struggle with how do I teach critical thinking in a way that won't get me fired, (laughs) you know, because I, I want to tell my students so desperately that, you know, look, just because this book says, oh, this is false, doesn't mean it's false, you know, we need to think a little bit more critically about these things.
0: Yeah, I think astrology is the big anomaly. Yeah, in the the current paradigm.
2: Okay.
0: Or at least one of them.
2: Yeah. You
0: know, so it's not. It doesn't fit in with. It, it will take a scientific revolution to create a situation where astrology might be able to fit in. And what I'm suggesting in the book basically is that it would be system science would then be regarded as. We, more legitimate than it is now, it will be seen as a necessary approach to knowledge, making knowledge out of nature, and that astrology will then make more sense. But astrology has a long way to go too. It needs more research, more more studies that show that something is going on there to attract the attention of the reductionists because they have the microphone right now. You know, some some may be interested in testing it and you know, James Lovelock and Lynn Margulis had the same problem with Gaia. Hmm. You know, they come up with this idea of the Earth being a self-organizing system and, you know, working, you know, with its environment, coupled with its environment, as Lovelock would say. And then the critics would say, well, you know, it's, it's more a metaphor. You know, there's no science behind it. So then Lovelock winds up doing some science and you know, pretty good science and other people as well. But it's just ignored. you know and any kind of hole in it, any any criticism of it is just enough to take it mm-hmm. off the board. So that subject has had a similar problem, and that subject's very important. Gaia theory is extremely important, especially mm-hmm. at this time now with the climate crisis raging. Right. That's what we need.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, well, we I need
0: that, nice. and we need less anthropomorphism. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think it's going to happen out of necessity.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's got to get worse (laughs) before it gets better.
2: Well, you know, it it takes humans a while to give up the illusions (laughs) that we've been living in.
0: Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. We're a believing species.
2: We are. We are. And, you know, I, like I said, you know, I was been thinking about awakenings and because I think what, really appeals to people is this idea of certainty that they now have certainty because this whole model answers all of their questions. Yeah. So people want. And I've been telling my students that you know we have to start avoiding that. And, and this isn't a new idea. And it isn't a new idea in philosophy. And I don't know why more philosophers don't go back to the roots and you know, acknowledge that the only thing that they know is that they don't, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I tell students, it's like, you know, the best thing we can do right now is kind of learn to surf the waves of uncertainty.
0: I, I wrote a song and recorded it in the 80s with my band, The Pseudo Realists. <laughs> well, put your mind in a uniform. Yeah. Uh, and you'll feel so safe and, and secure, you know? Yeah. That's how it works.
2: Yeah, that is that is exactly how it works. And we need, we need to leave the uniforms, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, Bruce, I know that we're kind of running out of time here. Let me ask you a final question here. Um, actually, let me ask you two questions. One is I often ask guests this, especially when we talk about climate emergency and whatnot. And I think this is pertinent for the conversation we've been having. And where we're going as a species and as a planet and whatnot do you have hope
0: i don't even think about it to be honest with you sometimes i i I think about the future but i don't really attach any expectations to it i'm not sure how i got that way Hmm. i'm pretty much in the moment i i would say if if there is a reason for me getting that way it has to do with physical you know difficulties from some accidents but i don't think that you know, taking the broader view, which is what I try to do all the time. I don't think the earth itself is in danger. Right. You know, the, earth, the earth will survive. The bacteria will live, you know, we're living on the backs of the bacteria. Right. They'll be around. We'll just make a huge mess, make it really hard <laughs> for our descendants. That would be the worst case scenario. Right. So, you know, like a stoic, I look at the worst case scenario. And then I make peace with that, and then I'm okay. That's a stoic technique, by the way. And um, no, I, I think that's about You know, like I, I'm in the moment. I'm really in the moment. You know,
2: um, that's, that, that's the way we should actually be, I think. Be here now, right?
0: I'm going to do what I can do. You know, yeah. I mean, I have, you know, solar panels on my house, and I don't drive very much anymore. And when I was younger, I did a lot of bicycle riding and walking, lots of walking. You know, so I've tried to do my part because it's been... Long apparent to me that the whole American lifestyle is ridiculously wasteful, right? And I, I'm a strong believer in, you know, reduce, recycle, repair, and reuse. Mm-hmm. Constantly fixing things around here now. I just hate the idea that you know you buy a product and then you throw it out. I mean that's insane. Right. Sustainability is the is what's going to save the planet. So I I do my part. So you know that's as far as hope goes
2: maybe i don't know yeah yeah well you know and it, the the question was even broader than the environment but i mean that's so central of course right now but you know will we be able to find our way into a new science and abandon what has been harmful with rmm and find more find our place in the, in the world, in the universe again, I guess.
0: Well, I hope, I hope so. I think that if we're going to progress in, in regard to science, we're going to have to do something like that. Yeah. To me, science is a long tradition it's not just reductionist materialist right. mechanistic science. It's, it involves things like observation and correlation, mm-hmm. critical thinking. These are all parts of doing science. So these are ways of doing making knowledge in a democratic way. So you, mm-hmm. you use one or more of these various techniques, you come up with something and somebody else can do it and come up with the same result. That's science. Yeah. You don't have to use that one, one method all the time. Hopefully we'll get there. You know, it's entirely possible that the, you know, the climate crisis will get so bad that, that any kind of progress will be slowed down or, right. or limited to, you know, just a few people. It's, you know, there, there, there could be some problems. best case scenario the answer to your question is yes it'll get better
2: (laughs) let's hope i think there's always yes and nos and better and worse and it's complicated you know it's always complicated so and uh, and
0: what's progress anyway you know evolution is not progress evolution is just change over time right so i mean we could you know there were was a thing called the dark ages you know rome was you know you know rome failed at a certain point it took you know three or 400 years to recover from that. So, I mean, that could happen again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned in the book, I think that, you know, even the idea of progress itself is something that perhaps we need to abandon or shifts.
0: Or define better.
2: Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. The final question then is what is next for you? What What do you have coming up?
0: Well, I'm retired. I'm trying to work a little more on my music now and trying to keep my health going because I have some neurological issues that, you know, slow me down. So I don't have anything definitely planned. I have, I got to clean up my house. My parents in the last few years died and have a lot of their stuff in the basement, the garage. And so, you know, the nothing really glamorous plant.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no new books or? No, not like at it. this
0: point. I, you know, I have, you know, this one I put a lot into yeah. and I have a few other books that are still selling and I may do some, you know, write some scientific papers. I have a few studies that I've been on for years. So I could, you know, dig them up again and write them up. I like doing that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a website or a place for people to go to find out more about your work?
0: Yeah, I have one that I shared with my friend, Barry. It's called onereed.com, onereed.com. And we started it many years ago when we were both very interested in Mesoamerican astrology, ancient Aztec and Maya astrology. And so we put that up, but it has a few other things. It has some links, you know, some articles. There's another website attached to it called naturalastrology.com. And I may work on that. That may be something I get a bit more involved and i have some articles on that as well
2: okay all right and the nature of astrology that's out now right that's out widely available
0: yeah right as of yesterday
2: Oh, okay. Wonderful. Well, I'll put a link for that in the show notes in the video description and the websites that you gave. And I really encourage people to read The Nature of Astrology. I found it very engaging and was so looking forward to speaking with you about it because it just got my attention so much. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I think that astrologers and non-astrologers alike would appreciate it.
0: Especially if you have a science or philosophy or history background, that would help too.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it it touched on several things that I've been familiar (laughs) with in terms of the shifting worldviews. And you cited sources that I'm very familiar with, like you had a Carolyn Merchant in there and uh, a few others. Death of Um, nature. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it is. I've read that a few times now, but yeah, I think it has a really good place in our intellectual history, your book that is. And I I think it's really important work and I think it'll be really interesting to see where people take it after this.
0: Me too. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Nick.
2: All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah. I really appreciate your time and I appreciated the conversation and yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And that's a wrap on episode 68 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. If you would like to support my work here on Rebel Spirit Radio, please consider becoming a patron. There are currently four levels of membership, Seeker, Sage, Adept, and Guru. Some of the perks available include early access to videos, Shout-outs to members, a members-only Facebook page, access to the Rebel Spirit Radio Discourse Server, a monthly book club, and the opportunity to join me and special guests for a monthly cocktail apocalypse happy hour at the end of the world. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. And of course, if you'd still like to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. Another way that you can help the podcast is to share it with friends, family or even co-workers that you think will enjoy it. That really is one of the best ways you can help and support the podcast. As I mentioned before, I often kid that I'm here in the Southland doing missionary work in regards to religion and spirituality and ecology, psychedelics and consciousness and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, Please, by all means, help share the good news. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help, especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review. And please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your Rebel Spirit.